Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. And then she said this, we must be true to our principles and to the Constitution. We cannot let the former president drag us backward and make us complicit in his efforts to unravel our democracy. Down that path lies our destruction and potentially the destruction of our country. If you want leaders who will enable and spread his destructive lies, I am not your person. You have plenty of others to choose from. That will be their legacy. But I promise you this. After today, I will be leading the fight to restore our party and our nation to conservative principles, to making the GOP worthy again of being the party of Lincoln. Let us pray, she said. Dear God, fill us with a love of freedom and a reverence for all your gifts. Help us to understand the gravity of this moment. Help us to remember that democratic systems can fray and suddenly unravel. And when they do, they are gone forever. And then, on a voice vote, they threw her out. They didn't, it was just a voice vote. I was really wanting to know who voted for her and who voted against her. A voice vote, nobody challenged it. It was so obvious when they asked for eyes, there was a resounding eye to replace her. And the nays, probably just a handful. So immediately after she appealed to them to understand the import of this moment and how they could be enabling the not only the destruction of their party, but the destruction of the nation and its democracy. And then they didn't even have a little debate. <laughs> they just said... Uh, we'll go with, uh, we'll go with, uh, you know, orange pathological liar. So, never mind, you're out. Now, I, I just want to say this, uh, that there was a piece written in today's New York Times by Tom Friedman who I seem to be quoting a lot lately because he and I are just, you know, totally on the same wavelength now in our, in our clear fear about what seems to be happening. And uh, he said that he had intended to try to get away from all the negativity and the negative news, and he had really wanted and intended to write a happy kind of column uh, after his last one, which, you know, was hand-wringing and hair-pulling and 
warning of the end of uh, American civilization. And he couldn't. He couldn't do it. He said it would have been like doing a piece about Ford Theater's architecture the day after Lincoln was shot there. And then he tries again to explain how big what happened today is. What the Republicans did today. Ah, yeah, they kicked out someone they had elected to a relatively powerless position in their leadership, the number three post. But no, it's much bigger than that. And Friedman says this, this is a big, big moment in American history. One of America's two major parties has embraced now clearly a huge lie. A lie about the integrity of our elections. The core of our democracy. And he says there is a real possibility to look back and remember this date, May 12, 2021, as the beginning of the end. Now, I want to just jump in here. Tom Friedman is a very uh, astute observer of geopolitics of how things work and he's been at it for a long long time and this guy who has watched politics and human folly unfold throughout the world and create huge changes often for ill and he's now looking at his own country and he really wants to drive home a point. And this is not a flamethrower. This is not a, a guy who uh, runs, he's not chicken little, doesn't run around saying the sky is falling. It's not his style, never has been. Stolid, moderate by nature. And Tom Friedman, well, he's where I am. He sees this time, this moment, one more, one more thing happening today. Might not seem like much. We all knew it was going to happen. They were going to throw out Liz Cheney. But the fact that the party, by doing this, has clearly said, no, we don't care about your truth. We are going with the lie, the lie that caused the January 6th bloody insurrection at the Capitol, the lie that is now causing Republican legislatures all over the country to change voting laws, to 
make it easier for them to win one, or if not, to scramble the votes and appear to have won. So when Tom Friedman actually says, this guy who's not given to the kind of maybe over-the-top rhetoric that can come out of my mouth, when he says we may look back on this day, what just happened an hour ago over at the House of Representatives as the beginning of the end. And he's talking about our country. So again, let me go back to his words. There is a real possibility we will look back on May 12th as the beginning of the end. Unless enough principled Republicans can be persuaded to engineer an immediate, radical course correction in their party. What do you think the chances of that are? And a few more words for him. Lest you still don't quite embrace the truth of what he is saying and the extraordinary danger we are in now. He says, I fear that we have so defined down political deviance in the Trump years that we have lost the appropriate drop everything, DEFCON 1, man the battle station, sense of alarm that should greet the Republicans crossing such a red line. And see, that's the thing. We have become numbed. And people are not reacting as he thinks we should, as I know we should, that right now we are in a DEFCON 1 man the battle stations time. And he goes on to talk about what's going on in the uh, Republican-controlled state legislatures with all of this, uh, the bills that would literally make having an election the most cumbersome, unworkable, uh, the ability to finalize election results or even know if they're correct. Uh, there are a lot of bills where the Republicans are actually taking uh, taking control of the voting process and not leaving it to the you know, the, the professionals that have been doing it and doing it well for years because there is nothing wrong with our electoral system. Nothing. The only thing that is wrong with it is Republican efforts to make it difficult to vote. Other than that, it's pretty damn good. And now the big lie, that first of all, Trump won, 
And secondarily, he won because of all the fraud in our voting system. Never mind. Of course, you know, there is none. There was none. And they touted that so that now the majority of Republicans believe the lie. And once you believe the lie, then you can move forward and jerry-rig the whole electoral process so that, as Friedman says, the Republicans will be able to legally get away in 2024 with the same kinds of things that the courts would not let them get away with in 2020. All these busy changes to the law are focused on one thing and one thing only, on giving Republicans power to legally do what they nefariously, Rudy Giuliani and that whole crowd, through the justice system and failed miserably, of course, because they were dealing in lies, one lie after the other. So understand this day is an important one. Understand. And understand that the election in 2022 is every bit, if not even more important than 2020. We can not let this attempt to destroy our democratic process succeed. Now you'll recall that Friedman said, you know, this is this is the end unless there are some principled Republicans who can immediately, you know, like somehow get the party to turn, turn around and 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 stop this. Stop going down this path that will lead to destruction. And I sort of laughed when I read it. Because calling for principled Republicans these days is, <laughs> well, I just give you the voice vote that happened an hour ago. After praying, I didn't read the whole prayer, but man, she was quoting, uh, you know, uh, John and uh, truth, his, what he said about, you know, truth. And all these good Christians uh, ended, you know, the prayer with, in Jesus' name, uh, yeah, amen. And then they voted to go with the lie. But uh, news today that uh, sometime, I guess, tomorrow, there will be a statement released by more than 100 Republicans some former elected officials, one 
a uh, few of them actually are from Pennsylvania, including Tom Ridge, uh, will be signing this. I believe Charlie Dent, former congressman. Uh, I believe Christine Whitman, of uh, former governor of New Jersey. And so these are some pretty heavy hitters. And more than 100 of these people are going to public, publicize a letter that they have signed. Um, and it starts thusly. And it's clear just from the writing that they're seeing this as a potentially historic document. Because it almost sounds like uh, they were writing a, a preamble. So they say this. When in our democratic republic, forces of conspiracy, division, and despotism arise, it is the patriotic duty of citizens to act collectively in defense of liberty and justice. Well, that's pretty heavy. So there are a bunch of big-name Republicans, very few in elected office now. I don't know if any of them are now, which tells you something. But here they start decrying despotism, conspiracy, and division. And they're talking about the Republican Party. And... They believe, these Republicans, that the situation has gotten so frightening, so dire, that it is now time to seriously consider a third party being formed. And that is what the letter, I guess, is going to say to the Republican Party. Hey, you guys, <laughs> uh, you you got to stop this, or we're telling you right now, we're going to launch another party. And I called for this years ago, and it's clear that, you know, no third party effort in this country has ever really gained much steam, but this, we are at a time in our country unlike any other. And a splinter party like this of totally disillusioned Republicans could, in fact, finish off the GOP. And then they would rise. It'd take a number of election cycles. It'd be ugly. But these guys might be able to help save us. One of the guys who who is behind this is a guy named Miles Taylor. He's the one, by the way. Remember early in Trump's uh, administration when there was that op-ed in the New York Times written by an insider about the 
terrifying stuff that was going on in the White House. Remember that? Anonymously written. That was him. And he says um, that personally, he says, I'm still a Republican, but I'm hanging on by the skin of my teeth because of how quickly this party has divorced itself from truth and from reason. I'm one of those in this group that feels very strongly that if we can't get the GOP back to being a rational party, I am out. And a lot of people are going to come with me. So I'm going to put that in the good news uh, camp, you know, with the understanding that their politics, his politics, ain't my politics, but we cannot have this uh, this current uh, repulsive iteration of a political party that claims to be the party of Lincoln. God bless that poor man. Yeah? Well. Margaret says, how do we stop the slide? We've got to, we got to jump in. We've got to, I mean, it is, it's that sort of DEFCON 1, all hands on deck. We have got to organize, do work. You have to make sure that every election, Democrats turn out in, and it's going to be hard because Democrats don't. Oh, a presidential election. Oh, getting Trump out. That got a lot of people off their duffs that normally don't get off. But a midterm election? Are they going to, those same people, are they going to understand how important this is? And that Trump is still on the ballot, essentially. That he's got to be beaten and then beaten again and beaten again and beaten again. It's not a one-off. Rob says uh, the fascists have taken over the Republican Party, so essentially the Republican Party is finished, and instead we have a fascist party. Um, Seems like a good thing, he says, for the Democrats. No, I mean, not really. Um, It's because it's not a good thing if you have 40% of the country uh, willing to embrace this kind of cult of personality, of white nationalism, of such extraordinary uh, fidelity to lies and deception and conspiracy. I mean, my God, the, the unprincipled nature of this is astonishing. And none of those people are going anywhere. They are our fellow Americans. And yet, all the polling shows that Americans are so grateful that Joe Biden is in the White House right now. His approval ratings are, they're sky high. 
the latest 63%, 71% on handling of the pandemic. Uh, you know, friggin' Trump never got anywhere near it. He never got over 50%. He did not ever represent the majority of Americans. And speaking of Joe Biden, God bless him. You know what he's got to do today? Oh. He's got to sit down at the White House with Mitch McConnell, with this horrific McCarthy who just, who engineered the, uh, the Cheney eviction. And also there will be the Speaker of the House and, and the Majority Leader of the Senate. Those would be Pelosi and Schumer. And this is called, I guess they're called the Big Four. Those are the four top congressional leaders. And you know what, the last time that the big four, the people who hold, held those positions, actually met with the President of the United States? Well, it was back in the former administration, because <clears throat> this is the first time Biden's doing it. It was back in the former administration, and <laughs> you'll remember it, because that's the one with that famous picture of an enraged Nancy Pelosi pointing her finger at the president and essentially telling him, you know, to go F himself. And she stormed out. That was the last meeting like this. That will not happen here because, of course, Donald Trump's not in the room. But can you imagine Biden sitting down with McConnell and McCarthy? And, you know, Pelosi and Schumer, throw that in. That, 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 can you imagine the tension in that room? Even though they're all really good pals, they're used to this kind of thing. But, oh, my God. The New York Times had an editorial about... Uh, how Biden and McConnell, you know, know each other very, very, very well. Biden was in the Senate for ages, as was McConnell. They've worked together. They know each other. The Times points out that McConnell actually was the only Republican senator to attend the funeral of Biden's son, Bo. That says something, I think. And Biden has, and McConnell has, when I guess Biden left the Senate, he, 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 he gave what the Times called an uncharacteristically funny, touching, human farewell tribute to Biden, whom he called a real friend. But the Times also points out that in politics, you can be friends, but the minute you sit down to start 
moving your agenda forward, those friends would slit each other's throats in a moment. So that's what Biden's got to look forward to today. I don't know what you have planned for the day, but there's no way it could uh, beat that in terms of just uh, difficulty and, uh, oh, God, I would just, I would find it unbearable, I think. <laughs> I think I would. And speaking, so that was a New York Times editorial. Speaking of editorials, the Post-Gazette today uh, endorsed uh, Ganey, Ed Ganey, uh, for mayor of Pittsburgh. And uh, just saying, it means nothing. I mean, hardly surprising. But they make a good case for him. They, you know, made a good case. They they didn't really trash Peduto, but they they said, you know, look, I mean, I, at heart, Peduto's a wonk. I mean, he is. He's just a, he's wonky. And that's why he goes all to all these mayoral conferences, and he's the star of all these wonky conferences. Um, but the PG editorial, you know, faulted him for not staying here and dealing with stuff here. Now, I think that's specious. I think you could probably do both. Um, I have my other bones to pick with Peduto, as I've mentioned. So, um, and I have already voted and I've sent my my ballot uh, in. Feels good. I, I mean, I really like this uh, mail voting. I really do. Because I, you know, I, I don't know. I, it really does allow you to, you know, sit quietly and, and, you know, maybe with some materials you have around you. And especially in these with 5,000 judges on the ballot, none of whom, you know, you really know. So you're just voting for a bunch of names. And, and these are such important positions. So again, I'm suggesting that you, you try to be, do some due diligence is all I'm saying. Okay. Um, another good story. Good news. Good news. Always looking for it. Did you see what this judge in Texas did to the NRA? Oh, yo, I love it. For those of you who haven't been following this story, the Attorney General of New York State went after the NRA, which had been incorporated there, which, or I don't know when they're incorporated, but that's where they, that's where they sit. And so New York was able, their justice system, was able to challenge uh, the NR, the NRA. And she, the attorney general is a, a woman named Letitia James. She was really trying to shut them down. So she went after the NRA um, for just extraordinary corruption. And Wayne LaPierre picked up the whole NRA, flew off to Texas, and said he was um, 
he decided that Texas was a better place to be. And then he immediately said the NRA is declaring bankruptcy. Obviously, in an effort to get out of the jurisdiction of Letitia James in New York, and then to protect himself and the uh, NRA's substantial funds by declaring bankruptcy. This goes before the chief uh, bankruptcy judge in the state of Texas. And that judge just gave Wayne LaPierre hell. He totally told him, uh uh, this ain't, this is not going to work for you. You are not going to evade the, the legal uh, situation in New York State by hopping over here and then declaring bankruptcy. And the judge said this, the NRA is using this bankruptcy case to address a regulatory enforcement problem, not a financial problem. So he said, I mean, it's so clear what you're doing here. <laughs> you're trying to get away from New York State's attorney general, who's got you in her sights, by declaring bankruptcy here. And the judge said, no. And then he, he said he was nothing less than stunned, or nothing less than shocking, I think he said, that in the course of this hearing, in his court, that he found out that LaPierre moved the, the NRA and declared bankruptcy without ever notifying the board of directors or his own chief counsel or the CFO. He did it all by himself. And right there, the judge said, what? There is so much rank corruption in the NRA that it's, it's mind-blowing. And now that they've been unable to uh, use this little sleight-of-hand trick to get away from a full accounting with the New York AG coming at them, um, their chances of uh, wiggling out of this have uh, fallen precipitously. LaPierre is an extraordinary crook and grifter. Um, he, he testified during this trial that Almost everything he said was, I didn't know that. <laughs> what? Are you saying that my, the former CFO who we got rid of because, you know, he was doing stuff that was illegal, um, but are you saying that I hired him back on a $360,000 a year consulting contract? I didn't know that. Oh, and I, I didn't know that my personal travel agent 
who I pay $26,000 a month to, was also charging a 10% booking fee to the NRA on top of everything else because because everybody around me sees that this is a grifting operation. His closest aide, a woman named Millie Hallow, who, by the way, is a convicted felon, was uh, kept on after being caught diverting $40,000 to uh, in NRA funds to pay for her son's lavish wedding. Help pay. And then there was a plan afoot to build LaPierre a multi-million dollar home. That somehow disappeared. A totally bankrupt organization. Wayne LaPierre. The problem is, is Wayne LaPierre, during his long tenure, was extraordinarily successful in, I guess, terrifying the Republicans and a lot of Democrats into supporting their extreme gun-loving agenda. So I hear now that now that teenagers can be vaccinated, um, a lot of parents, there's even more parents saying, no, I don't think I want them to be vaccinated, who themselves were vaccinated. So there's more hesitancy with the teens getting vaccinated than with the adults. So adults who got the vaccine themselves are saying they don't want their kids to have it? God help us. When did we become such timid, timid souls? Our timidity is is so embarrassing. David Brooks had a piece out, uh, I don't know, week or so ago in which he he said what I I mean it's been said many times before if the current iteration of Americans all age groups from boomers the greatest what's left of the greatest generation on down to generation XYZ or whatever it is if we were asked to act collectively to push back an extreme threat, would we be able to do it? And I'm afraid the answer is no. If this was the America that had to fight fascism, Would we have stepped up? Eh, not so much, I don't think. We're timid, we're selfish, and we're easily bamboozled and played 
And at one point, I remember in his column, David Brooks, you can see how some of these sort of level-headed columnists are, are just, their hair's on fire. Uh, David Brooks said about simply the refusal to get vaccinated. Because that's what's being asked of Americans now to deal with this threat. And, um, and the fact that so many refuse. And at one point, I think he said, God, it's not as if you're being asked to storm the shores of Iwo Jima. God. Wow. So now there's this <clears throat> hesitancy. I'm so sick of hesitant Americans. Of, Well, I just want to wait and see what happens. I'm not sure. I want to see if there's any reactions. <laughs> Did they say this about all the vaccines that they stuck in their kids? I mean, little babies, we put lots of stuff in them. And it, we do it because it has rid, rid us of horrible scourges. And it works. Yeah, sometimes there's some reactions. My kid had a, a very scary reaction to pertussis vaccination. I mean, it's just fever just shot through the, scared the bejeebers out of, you know, my in my early motherhood. Um, so, yeah, that kind of stuff can happen. And it turned out okay. God almighty. So there's a guy um, quoted in, in an article about the fact that so many people are you know, fearful of getting the vaccine. And it's a guy um, who has been challenged by other parents about um, his decision to get his 14-year-old kid vaccinated which to me makes him sound like a responsible, intelligent citizen and parent. His name is Michael Jackson, by the way. That's his problem. God. So the quote is, talking about talking to these appalled parents, they say to me, how can you put that in your body? And meanwhile, they're eating a Big Mac and drinking a can of Coke. Ain't that the picture? There's something about that, that quote that paints such a clear picture of the extraordinary irrationality and stupidity of Americans. How can you put that in your body as they're <laughs> ingesting all of this crap? And what they're talking about is something that will save lives as opposed to what they're eating, which doesn't save lives, believe me. Well, if you're real hungry, I suppose it could. Oh. What 
else do I have here? Oh, I got two emails that I want to share with you. I really liked this. This is from Tom in Penn Hills, right on the money. I don't know why I hadn't actually thought of this myself, but thank you, Tom. He says, I'm listening to your Monday show, and you mentioned that at one time NASA and other nations owned space exploration. And now Elon Musk apparently does, or private industry has taken it over. And Thomas says this, this is nothing new. Nations tackle jobs that are too expensive and or unknown. And after the obstacles are overcome by that collective of taxpayers and citizens, the private companies come in to make a profit. NASA wasn't about making a profit. And I'm wondering, why do we always turn it over to the private sector? Why do we do that? Because, oh, I see, because taxpayers have other things they should be dealing with on their plates. But I'm just so, I'm so sick of the way we do capitalism. It is so wrong. It is just so vile. Like the fact that uh, everybody's squawking about there aren't as many jobs out there or people aren't taking the jobs that are out there. Well, most of these jobs that are out there are crap. Because our system has no respect for labor. None. Zero. The people who work the hardest, who do the, you know, the not sexy stuff, but the, what we came to call during this last year, right, as the essential stuff. Picking up garbage, checking out groceries. Manning, keeping things running. Those are not jobs of high status. But without those jobs and the people doing them, nothing would function. Nothing. And I have never understood how those jobs are not valued and shown that they're valued by how they're compensated. I've never understood it. Why should somebody pushing paper around and sitting on the computer all day be making huge six figures, not producing a goddamn thing except more money for people who already have more than they could ever use? I'm sorry. I am. 
Now, is this true? Kurt writes me and says, it turns out that Wendy Bell's leave-taking at WJAS that was referred to as a personnel matter was about a conflict of interest because, Kurt writes, apparently Wendy is getting into politics. I mean, she's essentially in politics already, but no, he says, no, not as a candidate herself, but as a campaign manager for Heather Heidelbaugh, who's running for state attorney general. This can't be true. Oh, it isn't. Wait, I just read the next sentence. Not really. This was just a random fantasy I had. To, oh, geez, you took me in. You took me in. Ha ha! That was too perfect. It was too perfect. I, what I didn't make sense was why would she give up a gig to head a losing can campaign? There's no way Heather is going to win that. And why would she not be the star? She wouldn't. Be. I can't believe Kurt, you got you got me. I never finished reading it. That is unbelievable. Ho, ho, I've been had. And I even see you had a little wink emoji. Honest to Pete. Oh, and you even signed it, devilishly yours. Darn. Okay. I'm embarrassed. I have a caller to save me. Hello. Hey, Lynn, good morning. It's David. Hey, uh, Hi, David. It's completely believable. I mean, the idea... <laughs> That all Wendy'd make a t take a shot at something other than uh, just expressing herself. Yeah, but that's not a starring position. I mean, and it's a failed effort. It didn't make any sense. But the two of them together was just more than I could handle. Wendy, I mean, two of my nemeses. Wow. And when you were talking about uh, the other folks doing the, the government doing the research and the capital is taking the yeah all the credit. You know, that that's that's the pharmacy business. That's you know, that's the uh they keep claiming that they're charging all this money for their uh research and technology and uh it ain't so. The government mm -hmm. you know, the um Institutes for Health, they they spend tons of money on on uh drug development um that'll hopefully save us all. Like like the COVID and uh, the uh, I don't know what they're charging the government for this vaccine for these vaccines, but you know it's got to be a oh it's lots it's lots I mean it this is a hell of a you know Pfizer I mean they're just it's a good year for them <laughs> it's yeah. a great year yep the guys yeah. at the top are, are raking it in I'm sure. Well, they rake it in if they're having a good year or a bad year, because that's, again, the way this kind of capitalism works. Foolproof. That's right. Yeah, it's absolutely, you know, supposedly the marketplace is supposed to be, you know, it, it rewards, you know, people. It rewards good products, good work. That's bull. Exactly. It's just bull. And, and we're the fools, you know, because we get sucked in and we can't mount a uh, a successful response to getting drugs for people that are, quite honestly, dying from not having them. Uh, yeah. 
that crock about about the diabetes medications that that went up oh. 300 percent. I mean, and and the inhalers, you know, inhalers yeah. and and insulin, you need that. I mean, yeah, those are and, those keep people alive. It's basic. And the fact that they were so cheap uh, 20 years ago, it's the same product that hasn't changed at all. Um, you know, you could get the, the same stuff that your grandparents have been on, um, or you can get these newly developed drugs uh, that are through the roof. Um, well, the reason it continues like this, you know, this rapacious, you know, uh, capitalism is because our political system refuses to rein it in because the capitalists own our elected officials. Yeah, and you they can own have, them. And you can have ads on TV now. You didn't used to be able to do that. Oh, I know, and that is that is so outrageous. Um, it, it really is. We are we are really something. We so we ban cigarette ads on TV, but then we allow what gambling ads. And the state even runs one of the biggest uh, you know gambling operations, which is like cigarettes in that it addicts people and ruins right, lives they took, they took it right from the mafia i mean they're they're, they're just, <laughs> they're just gang, gang world thugs i mean it, you know <sighs> the, that's how the mafia made all their money was on the numbers yeah they were raking it in yeah but so the state said hey that looks like a great you know like, move over it, it, it's now illegal for you to do it but it's it's so, great for us Yep, yep, we're 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 uh we're able to spend even more money on uh yachts and uh you know vacation homes. Oh god. It, it it's something. Go and and yeah. I just read that short though book about small time about Johnstown. That was great. that one that you guys recommended. That was fantastic. That was phenomenal. Well, um oh the Johnstown back. flood? The Johnstown yeah. flood? That was about Johnstown and its small time uh gang world. Uh, oh, culture and uh, oh yes, you would you would mention that uh, this was something you had looked into. That I don't know if you read it or not, but uh, you you recommended. I I got it out and. Um, Are you talking about David McCullough's book? No, this no. is Russell Shorto. Uh, oh no, his, I haven't his read. His family that. was in Johnstown. Um, oh, criminal I remember reading about it. Yeah, I didn't read it. And I heard about it from you, and uh -huh. I got it, and. Yeah. Uh, Spectacular, just spectacular. Really, the way that it affects well, the families and you know the impact on. Um, well, the the reason it all came about in the first place, the, the reason the mafia ever existed, it, it the guy just lays it out so well from a um, a personal experience. Hmm. Never, never seen it before, never heard of it before. I mean, uh, that perspective, um, yeah, being that close to it all. Usually, the people that are that close to it all are six feet under the ground. That's right. I mean, they're not allowed But this to guy, and this was a, yeah, right. I remember, I think it was reviewed in the Post-Gazette. Um, um, but yeah, thanks for the reminder of, of that. Sounds and, and, good. And how, you know, it, it's it's close to the government people. It's uh -huh. close to the the the, 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 um, the, the, the thugs that are have risen to the top, but don't, <laughs> don't come off like thugs because they have PR people. Yes, and they have yeah three piece suits and they look right and they don't wear pinky rings. I yeah. know, 
All right, David. Thank hey, you. Work, work in the polls. Looking good. All right. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye. Doug writes, would you consider giving a vote <clears throat> to a more moderate conservative third party in order to boost their numbers and in the process put a dagger in the GOP? Um, not in a race where I would think that would hurt the person I really wanted in. I can't vote in a Republican. Well, they wouldn't be able to be in in a primary race. Um, That's the problem. They have to stay in the party to, and and there's no way that'll work, huh? No, this is something that Republican voters and conservative voters need to do. I'm not a conservative. Oh, that's not, I can't do that. But would I consider? It would depend on the election, the specific election. So I I really don't know. Hmm. Good question. Uh, Russ says, my fear is the new GOP will take Mitch with them. I would be more encouraged when I see more of the current Republicans doing bipartisan work now. Don't, Russ, Russ, Russ. He had his chance. You know, when he stood up and argued Trump was responsible for January 6th, when he appeared to be arguing for impeachment on the second time around, and then, of course, didn't uh, vote that way. He's a never, ever think that Mitch McConnell's going to do the right thing. And the only way he keeps power is by acquiescing here. Everyone knows he hates Trump. Trump hates him. Somehow even Trump must know he can't touch McConnell yet. I don't know what calculations he's making. I just know that I wouldn't trust that guy as far as I could, you know, throw him. Really. Well, I said, you know, busy day on... uh, uh, in Washington, because there's a hearing going on right now <clears throat> in which the the acting Secretary of Defense uh, under Trump, a guy who had had the, got Christopher Miller, you don't know any of these names, because Trump replaced Secretaries of Defense um, every hour on the hour, along with every other secretary. So there were no... Um, and none of these guys ever went through the uh, process of getting signed off on by by the Senate, as every other president has done. I mean, when you so Trump's last acting defense secretary, a guy named Christopher Miller, who was in that position on January sixth is testifying today. And, you know, I I don't know about you, but I am stunned that the Congress has gone right back to just 
doing what it does when so many of its members were active and supporting of those rioters and insurrectionists. And where is the accounting? And I'm not talking about the schlumps who believed Trump and believed these guys peddling the big lie, who went in there and now are in jail and facing trials. They'll suffer consequences. But what about all these Congress people? All you know, the whole damn Republican uh, congressional delegation from this state. They walk away. Yet they're the ones who waved the red flag, who sold these people um, and, and tamped, not tamped, uh, raised their rage so that they were willing to stage a little bit of an insurrection there, kill a few people, go looking for more to kill. Could have been a real bloodbath. And so now there's a, you know, there's a hearing today, and they want to find out why the National Guard wasn't sent, and this guy's going to cover his behind, although apparently he is going to say that he personally believes that Trump's comments encouraged <laughs> the, pro the protesters. He's going to say, even though he didn't say this in the days after it, it hadn't occurred to him, uh, that he didn't want to send troops because he was afraid of contributing to a perception of a military coup. Oh, dear. Okay, so the writer is Russell, thank you, Barbara. The writer is Russell Shorto, S-H-O-R-T-O. And his grandfather was a mob leader in Johnstown. And he's written a memoir called Small Time. Okay, so that's the book that the, the caller was referencing and uh, Barbara has sent me a uh, his appearance on uh, NPR's Fresh Air. So thank you for that. And I will make a point of, uh, of listening. So thank you. All right. I've gone over time. Uh, thank you all. Enjoy this beautiful day. But remember, we are a nation at extraordinary risk. And I know it's not pleasant, but... Gosh, guys, we need to be sort of on a DEFCON 1 footing. Now, go and enjoy your day. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host, and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.